the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you are listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-340-KSLR. That's 340-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And those of you back in San Antonio, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app just at the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We got a special program today. We are coming to you live from Lakey, Texas. We are at our men's retreat. A good friend of mine is our guest speaker. We've been having a blast out here. And we've got some questions that we didn't get to in the Q&A session that we just finished with them. And then we got some men in the audience uh, who might have some questions. So let me introduce Pastor Kevin. Kevin, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. Kevin is the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Fort Bragg, not North Carolina. We're a military community, so that's what people would think of immediately. But in Northern California, like way, way, way Northern California. And uh, we've been friends for a long time. And Kevin is uh, tonight not only going to bring the word, but I just found out he's also going to be playing the piano and singing at the same time. (laughs) And he is great. And for those of you who don't remember, we get questions sometimes on the program about our intro and outro song, The Word to Stand On. Kevin is the one who wrote it and performed it. I've been using it now for 12 years and um, no I, intention of changing it, um, but that's the kind of friend he is. I could call him and say, hey, we need a new radio show program, and he came up with it right away. Kevin, thanks yeah. for being here. Thanks. What are your impressions of Texas? It's it's hot, <laughs> <laughs> and the meat is good. <laughs> and the meat is good, and we got lots of meat. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to some questions. Do you have a question you want to start off with, Matthew? By the way, before you start, Matthew, Paula, i got to say hello to you. I tried to call you. You were out running the streets. I have no idea where you were, <laughs> but I miss you. I love you. I've been thinking about you, and I will talk to you soon. Now, Matthew. All right, this is Matthew um, from Cibolo. Right? Um, I just want to let my wife, Michelle, I love you. Uh, we're celebrating our 12-year anniversary today. Oh, so, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. All right. But the question I had was um, from earlier from the Q&A, if you can follow up. Um, as we know, we have any, everybody has family members who are not say we've been praying for. And, and y'all um, mentioned and y'all alluded to about uh, God wants our prayers to be what he wants. And um, so can you expound on um, perhaps, you know, there's someone out there not um, getting those prayers answered when they have lost children. I have a 19-year-old lost daughter 
who's left her house three years ago hasn't come back. She says she'll never come back. So we've been praying for the last three years. But uh, uh, can you expound on that and you know maybe give some encouragement to people that have been praying for more than three years for their lost children or lost family member? Yeah, Matthew, you, you know my story. Paula prayed for me for 13 years. And, and fortunately, the Lord had her journaling her prayers during those times. So we've got years and years and years worth of her, God, why aren't you doing something prayers? God, I'm all alone. I can't take it one more minute. God, kill him, those kind of things. And, um, you know, God has his own timing. And God won't force any of us to do anything, but he will construct circumstances in our lives that will bring us to a place of desperation. And we've heard that uh, throughout our men's retreat, people getting to the place where at the end, uh, you know, well, I, I, I'm desperate, Lord, and that's when they surrender. Uh, there's no promises that our children are going to be saved. Um, we wish that were the case. Um, but as young adults, they're going to have to make a decision of their own free will. And what we've got to do with broken hearts, and admittedly our hearts are broken, but what we've got to do is trust God with those kids. He loves them more than we do. And what we have to do then is focus on our own walk with the Lord, not let our sadness of heart, not let our anger even at times um, detour our walk with the Lord, but keep our eyes focused on Jesus rather than on the people around and the best thing we can do for those unsaved loved ones, Kevin, I think, is uh, get so close to Jesus that they can't help but to smell the aroma of life, which Paul describes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, just look at that. Okay, just remembering what uh, Peter says in that that you know the Lord is not uh, you know He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants everybody to come to repentance. We know that, but that's not. He's not willing that any should should go to hell. But the the deal is, and and, and Ron just said it. The Lord is not going to violate our free will. And the hardest thing, because I had just gone through a, a prodigal thing with with my daughter, and she's back now, and I praise God for that. But the Lord kept speaking to us that that you know what you. Just keep walking with the Lord. You keep praying for her, keep loving her, and ultimately she's going to make her choices. And just as it reads in Acts chapter 17, 26 and 27, you know, God set us up in the places he put us and our boundaries, and he's made us all of the same blood, and he's set up our lives so that one day we're going to grope for him. And so God is giving every opportunity to those people that we love. He's giving every opportunity for them to grope. For him, but that doesn't mean they will take that opportunity, and then we're the ones that are going to have to come to grips with that and just know that God is good, and keep keep praying. And yeah, he's working on on Ron for thirteen years. You know, that's a lot of work. That's <laughs> the Lord's working. Bottom line, the Lord is working. Thank the Lord, he didn't get tired. Hey, Kevin, just for, for, as a source of encouragement, how long was your daughter gone? She was only gone for about. Uh, about a year total. It was it was a miracle, truly, because I know a lot of brothers and and sisters whose children have walked away from the Lord, and are, and it, it's been that way for years. And I can't, hmm, I can't think of anything more gut wrenching yeah. than to continually live that, um, because it was such a short time, a relatively short time with my daughter, that. And, and we were destroyed on the inside. I know what that destruction on the inside feels like. And, and the, the enemy wants to get in your head and, and, and tell you that, you know, yeah, God doesn't care. God's not all as good as you said he is. And, and no, God is perfect. We are the problem. And if somebody wants to be that problem, he allows them to be that problem. And so it was, it was a tough time. It was a very tough time. But the Lord did miracles in her heart and in our hearts through the pain, for sure. And it, obviously it's still tender. <laughs> yeah. So our hearts go out to you and your wife, Matthew. Pray for you, Matthew. Here's yeah. a question that came in. How can you tell the fruit of a godly woman? What should I look for in a wife? The fruit of the Spirit, obviously, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Just, but, but more to the point, look for somebody who loves the Lord. 
You know, we get so impatient. I'm single, Lord. I'm lonely. I need somebody. Everybody's got somebody but me. You remember when when God made Adam aware of his loneliness? I mean, think about it. Adam was created in a perfect environment, had all these animals that he was uh, in control of, he had dominion over, and he didn't know he was lonely. He didn't know that, that there was this hole in his heart. God said, well, wait a minute, it's not good for man, and, and literally that's mankind. It's not good for mankind, men or women, to be alone. So he put Adam into a deep sleep. It doesn't say he put Adam on some dating app. He put him into a deep sleep, and when he woke up, there she was. Now, the way God created that, that desire in Adam was to have the animals walk by Adam, two by two, a male and a female. A very animal. Adam, give these, give these animals names. Now imagine how brilliant Adam had to be in his unfallen state. He'd walk by a uh, hippopotamus. I always <laughs> use that first because hippopotamuses are like my favorite animal. But, but all of the animals would get names. And pretty soon in that process, Adam would start thinking, hey, everybody's got somebody but me. And um, all Adam had to do was go to sleep and wait for the one that God created for him. And that's what we try to tell people all the time. Wait for the one that God has created. Let me give you just one clue I think that's important, whether you're a male or female. If you have an interest in somebody, before you ever let that interest be known, watch their walk with the Lord. See if it's genuine. People say, well, I don't want to come to church to find a date. Why not? That's the place where you get to see people. You get to see their commitment to the Lord. You get to see if they're serving. You get to see, their, their, look inside their heart. So watch somebody's walk with the Lord. And if you'll do that, the Lord will show you what it is about that woman or what it is about that man that, that will be attractive to you. Um, one, one of my pastors is getting married uh, in the next year sometime. And uh, I was talking with him just today and saying, okay, Chris, when are we going to do this? He said, well, I don't have a date yet. And they said, well, what are you waiting for? This is the one. You know it. She knows it. Her parents know it. Everybody knows it. What are you waiting for? And he's got the woman that God has brought into his life at just the right time. We who are Christians, Kevin, we need to be patient enough to wait for the one God chose instead of going out on our own search and rescue mission. I, I think I think that's such a, a beautiful picture as the Lord uh, put Adam to sleep. And that, that's the thing. And I always I always talk to when I'm doing uh, wedding ceremonies, when I'm performing wedding ceremonies, I always bring that up, that, that while Adam slept, he was preparing his mate for him. And it's, it's while you're going about your life while the Lord's working on her somewhere else. And one day he brings you together. But I want to challenge you, and whoever asked this question, how can you tell the fruit, uh, of a godly woman, you know, what should I look for in a wife? I think that you would do better to make sure you're a godly man and Ooh, that she good. sees fruit in your life. Um, I've had way too many conversations with brothers who who could use a little help in the fruit department and, you know, who are just saying, I want this kind of a woman, you know, I want this, you know, I want her to, to be this and be that. Is, nah, don't wrap yourself up so much in what you want her to be. Why don't you wrap yourself up into being the best possible husband that could ever be made? Then you will recognize if you're walking with the Lord, you'll recognize a woman who's walking with the Lord. You will recognize uh, uh, that. And, and you know, you'll, you'll also be able to see, you know, red flags. If there's some things in there, I say, oh, that's not cool. Um, because you're walking with the Lord, you're locked in with the Lord. And so I, I think it's, it's better to, to make sure that you're the right guy than to be really bent on finding the right woman. Yeah, God does a much better job of choosing, you know, Paula when she was looking for somebody. She was looking for Tall, Dark, and Denzel. Denzel. And she got me. Now, I can't say she's the beneficiary of that, but I am. Mm. So that's what we need to just wait. Be patient enough to wait for the Lord. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions, you in San Antonio or in the surrounding area in South Texas. Here's another question. I just forced my first wife for reasons other than infidelity. I'm currently in a relationship with another believer. 
I've sought forgiveness for divorcing my wife for the wrong reason. What should I do now? Continue pursuing my current relationship or seek to restore my previous marriage. With that kind of information, it's almost impossible to, 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 to be really specific. Uh, does your wife, your previous wife, uh, does she want to get back? Uh, certainly, that's the question. Is she a Christian? Are you a believer? One of the things I tell people, Kevin, all the time is that uh, the fact that you divorce somebody looking for somebody else, Paul says it must be a believer. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. We can't marry outside the faith without there being all kinds of pain, and it's just willful disobedience. Um, but if the door is open to reconciliation, I think that would be God's first choice. But that's a big, big, big step, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. You've got to recognize the hurt that you've done. You said you've asked for forgiveness and you've repented. Does your first wife, does she know that you've asked her for forgiveness? Has she granted that forgiveness? Does she want to get back involved? Um, But one of the things I think we ought to be careful of, especially as men uh, who are older, had experience, we need to to be careful of bringing the problems that caused our impatience in the first marriage into our second relationship. So what we got to do is we've got to get grounded in the faith. Whoever that is, and it's somebody here at Calvary Chapel or somebody here at the retreat, my answer to you would be sit down with one of the pastors here at the church and give us some detail so that we can <clears throat> counsel you with more specificity uh, because without it, there's just a million different circumstances out there that, that could cause, um, cause us to answer differently under different circumstances. But generally speaking, I think that's the case. No, and I have nothing to add to that. Mm-hmm. I, was, uh, I just think definitely uh, many more details need to be brought uh, to be brought out here just you know the conditions of the divorce were you walking with the Lord was somebody walking with the Lord uh, you know I there's definitely this one is something where I think it'd be really wise for you to, to sit down with a pastor get some counsel Kevin I'll let you have this one first once saved all is forgiven doctrines in the Bible for Christians how do they work for the new Christian who have done wrong things in life. Who have done the wrong things in life. I'm having, actually, I'm having trouble understanding the question, once saved, all is free. Right, you're saved, the Lord has forgiven you all your sins, as as far as the east is from the west. So let's go to the next part of the question. Um, How do they work for new Christians who have done... Biblical doctrines. How do the biblical doctrines work for the new Christian? Who's done wrong things in life? who's done wrong things in life. Yeah. Well, isn't that all of us when we got yeah. saved? I'm struggling here with the question. I really am. And I think that, that um, I, I think let's just go, go ahead and just jump on the foundation of all of this in, in that when the Lord saves you, he casts your, your sin as far as the east is from the west. And he was crucified once for all. You, once you've come to him, your sins are forgiven. You are clean. You are righteous in him. He has taken care of it, and man, it's done. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So this is, uh, I, I want you to put that at the foundation. And as far as a Christian um, who says have done wrong things uh, in their lives, what happens is when you get saved, now what you, you have a problem. Before, you used to have one nature. It was a sinful nature. Then the Lord puts his Holy Spirit in this body, and so we have the fight that ensues that we read about in in Romans chapter 7 or Galatians chapter 5, this fight between the flesh and the spirit. It is a fight that never stops. But those sins that are committed as believers, they are washed, they are clean. You and I are learning to, uh, as Paul would say, he's, he's putting his body into submission to, you know, the you know, beating his body into submission to walk with the Lord. And so, um, you know, it's a tough thing having two natures, <laughs> but, but the Lord will prevail. And so, yeah, you're forget. Look, are you saved? Did you get, did you get born again? You're in bro. All right. What do yeah. you have? To say? Well, just, you know, the, the words, Oh, wretched man. 
Come, yeah, to, come, that's to, what's, come to mind here. This is my theme you know, words. The, the founder of Calvary Chapel, Pastor Chuck Smith, used to say, look, if Jesus has thrown our sins in the deepest, darkest ocean, why do we keep going diving and trying to retrieve them? Mm-hmm. He said, I think what we should do is just leave them there and move on with our lives. Now, the way the question was asked, and if this is not a proper understanding of the question, I apologize. But doctrines in the Bible aren't just words, they're truths. Mm-hmm. And it means that when we are saved, the old is completely gone. Now, I realize there's a devil who's always trying to condemn us. He's always trying to, to pound us into submission. But the reality is, if he comes with condemnation, we can identify instantly the source of that condemnation. And, and we don't want to listen to the liar. We don't want to listen to the one who comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. So what we do is we simply say, you know what? I choose to hold on to this biblical truth. Everything that I've done has been wiped away. You're talking about Isaiah in the message last night. Mm -hmm. And it's to me, Isaiah is fascinating because he's arguably one of the two holiest men in all of Scripture. (laughs) And there's nothing negative said about him at all. There's no sin pointed to. And yet when he sees the Lord, he says, oh, woe is me. For I'm done. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Um, And yet... In, in Isaiah's situation, the coal, the seraph flew with the coal and touched his lip and cleansed him. And that qualified him to be used by God. And, and the same thing is true for us. We haven't had a coal come and touch our lips, but what we've had is the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I remind people all the time, the Holy Spirit is the first name. It's holy. The Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we need to remember that. And we walk from a position of holiness. We don't pursue holiness in hopes it will someday measure up. Right. We walk from a position of holiness and then we pursue personal holiness to grow in the grace and knowledge of God and of his will for our lives. So um, if you've done bad things, join my club. I think that's all we really need to, to deal with. Kevin, before we go to the next question, let's yes, take a, a minute and ask, why don't you talk a little bit about Uh, the work at Fort Bragg. Tell us a little bit of the history. Well, Calvary Chapel Fort Bragg, we started about 25 years ago. It actually started with a Bible study uh, of 16 people that looked for a pastor uh, for a year and a half, and then I rolled into town. And uh, and they told me it was me. And (laughs) and then I had to talk to the Lord about it, and he told me it was me, and they were right. Um, Since then, you know, the the Lord has has grown the church... um, in numbers, it's a very small community. It's six thousand people in Fort Bragg, and uh, and it's a real liberal kind of a hippie community. And did I say kind of? Uh, it's it's a hippie community, and uh, and it's been it's been really great. The Lord spoke to me actually when I first got there, and I and I'm at a coffee shop, and I'm looking out over this coffee shop and listening to conversations, and I realized I was totally out outmatched. I, I, I don't know what I was going to do with this because coming from Southern California, you, what you do is you put up the sign Calvary Chapel and you open up the Bible and then 400 people yeah. are there. And so that's what I was going to do in Fort Bragg. And when I, uh, I got there and I'm sitting in the coffee shop and I'm listening to people talk, I, I, just, I just lost it. I go, oh, no, what have I done? You know. And I, I went out into my car, and I sat in the car and opened up the Bible to where I happened to be reading in my normal devotion time. And it was Exodus chapter 23, mm-hmm. and, and the Lord telling Moses, hey, Moses, I'm not going to give you all the land at one time. Because mm-hmm. if I do, you know, you're not going to know what to do with the cattle. You're not going to know what to do with it. it, it it's just, so, so it's just going to be little by little. And that encouraged me so much to just speak to individuals, get to know people, and through it all, so many have been saved, and we've sent out uh, pastors to other churches, we've, you know, and also we have, I don't know if you're familiar with Corey Kilgis, who is um, down in in South America, Gospel uh, South America, and planted numerous churches throughout South America, and that came from Fort Bragg of all places. So what, that's what's going on. Yeah. What are some of the challenges of ministering in a in a small? We got two minutes yes, all for this half of the program. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the challenges of ministering in a, in, a, in a really small community? I think the greatest challenge is I know everybody in town. Uh, saved, non-saved, 
I know everybody. And it's really hard when somebody has trouble at the church and they've had a disagreement and then they leave the church. I have to see them at the grocery store. Or should I say they have to see me. And I see them ducking behind the melons. (laughs) And, you know, it's it's really something. And so that's tough because I always see everybody all uh, everywhere. But I do love the relationships. I love the relationships with the unsaved people in Fort Bragg. And they know who I am. They knew, know who I serve. And and it's just it's just been great. I just love that. Hmm. C- kind of a you know, we came to a city with one point seven million people. Yeah. <laughs> and, That's a and, little more than Fort Bragg. Well and still we, we just little chunk by chunk by chunk by chunk is right. the way added. Because nothing happens quickly. Right. And we've we've both known pastors who showed up and there were the four or five hundred people there and they didn't last very long. Right. They didn't know what to do with their cattle. Right. First <laughs> Corinthians four two, it is required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. Well, there's the music for the end of the first half of the program. We'd love your live calls and questions, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh here with my friend Kevin Green, and we will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back. That is always the fastest two minutes of the week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, whether questions for me or for Pastor Kevin Lee. You're in studio. What's your question? Yes, I believe from San Antonio, Texas, Calvary Chapel, uh, Pastor Ron and Pastor Kevin. What would you say to, how would you minister to a person, our people, that have been, um, that experienced loss three years constantly in a row? How would you minister to them, especially when they lost a daughter? Tough things. We have um, experienced a lot of loss, a lot of grief. And I think, Lee, the only way that we can really minister to people is to hurt with them, to cry with them, to be there for them. I don't think, and this is the human condition, we think we have to have answers. We want to have just the right thing to say to make them feel a little bit better. Sometimes there's just no possible way to say anything at all that's going to make their pain go away even a little bit. So I think we just have to be there with them. We suffered a loss uh, six years ago, uh, an eight-year-old, just a a, a precious, precious child who loved the Lord with all of his heart, was suddenly taken in a car accident that the rest of the family survived. And we've lived with that pain and with that family now. And the family is, is finally getting to the place where they, 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 their hearts, they're filled with joy, but the pain never goes away. And I heard it described this way one time. Uh, somebody who, who had really suffered loss, and somebody was saying, because they just suffered a loss of their own, and they asked this guy, he said, so how do you get through it? And his response was, you never really get through it, but if you think about the, 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 your life as this piece of ice, eventually there's going to be enough ice and it's going to be thick enough to support your weight. In other words, you're going to survive. But I'm here for you. What do you need and how can we help? And, and, and if they know that, then you're ministering to it. We have to resist the urge, Kevin, not to feel like we're not doing anything because we don't have the right thing to say that, that makes them feel better right away. I, I think it's really, really important, the very first thing you said, and that is... Uh, to cry with them. Um, we were talking about spiritual gifts earlier at the, the question and answer, and one of the spiritual gifts that I have is what has been described to me as the gift of mercy. And I just lose it, you know, when people are going through their stuff. You see, 
if there is nothing to say, then don't say anything at all. I, I think as, you know, when, when Peter and James and John were on the mountain with Jesus, and then Peter said, hey, let's make all these tabernacles, you know. And, uh, and it says in Mark that, that he said that because he didn't know what to say. And what happens when we don't know what to say, we think that the answer, uh, that, that, okay, my job as somebody who's comforting or as a pastor or what, I have to say the exact right thing that's going to fix this. Nothing fixes grief. You don't need to say anything. You just, you're there loving them. Even if, and because I have experienced grief. I've, you know, I I was 15 years old when my 19-year-old brother died. And I know, I know what it's like to lose somebody that close. But I also know that if somebody has lost somebody that close, that I don't know how they feel. All I know is how I felt. And just knowing how I felt is what breaks me. But I will not say to them, I know how you feel, because nobody knows. So refrain from trying to come up with the right words that are going to fix this. But rather, you be there you love them and you know and as pastors i think you know we've kind of seen it all and unfortunately as you talk about the the eight-year-old and you know uh, there was a young lady who had a five-year-old and an eight-year-old boy there were her two children and uh they ran off they they grabbed the four-wheeler and went out into the forest with it they just being kids and they got in a wreck and it crushed them both Everybody's looking for them. She found them. She found them. You know, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, you just, you love them, and you just know that that the Lord, even as Jesus, what did Jesus do? Lazarus, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus, but as Jesus wept, he just looked at the pain all around, and it just, and it broke him because he's hurting over these. So, no, I don't know the answers. I actually, I want to add one little thing here that that I don't recommend, and I can't believe I said it. Had to be led by the Holy Spirit. When when a man came into my office twenty years ago, and his nineteen year old son was just killed, and he said, "I've been to every church asking every pastor why did this happen," and I told him, "I said I don't know. I don't know why it happened, but I know that God has a plan." And I just taking from my own life that, you know, there was a point that I actually thanked God for taking my brother because it set things in motion that would lead me to my salvation. And I said the stupidest thing to this man. I said, I said, I don't know why it happened, but God has a plan. And I believe that one day you're going to thank God for this for taking your son he would later tell me he almost punched me and i wouldn't have blamed him right and um but he actually came to church and three weeks later he and his wife gave their life to the lord then their best friends they all got saved and all of their relatives got saved and like like 15 people got saved about a year later he came into my office and he says remember what you told me (laughs) and i said nope because i don't remember saying it but sounds like something i'd say and, and uh, he said, you, you said that one day I was going to thank God for this. He said, I almost slugged you. I go, yeah, I get that. He said, well, I was over there visiting Andrew's grave, and I prayed. I've seen everything God has done with me since then. He said, and I thanked God. Thanked God for taking my son. Mm-hmm. And we just broke and hugged each other and you know i guess with all of that i'm just saying this person going through more grief than we can understand i do know god and i know he has a plan and we can't see it so in the meantime you just cry with them and hug them and be there so long answer that's that's a good answer i I, I tell you one of the things if we feel pressure to say something we always say something stupid oh 
baby. You just always say something stupid. Yeah. So it's better just to put your arms around him and love on him. Remember, Job's friends were only friends for a week. Right. And then they turned into miserable comforters. The first week, they just grieved with him. And I think we've got to be better at grieving with those who grieve and, and rejoicing with those who rejoice. That's another issue, but, but they, they're, they're sort of Siamese twins. We've got to be better able to share other people's burdens. I think that's really important. This question came in. In the New Testament, I do not recall Jesus or his disciples refer to God as anyone but Lord, not with Jewish names or the like. Please elaborate if it is the same God as Jesus. I'm not sure I get that question, um, Kevin. I think, first of all, Jesus referred to his father many times as Abba. In fact, the only time he referred to him as God was when my God, who was quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right. So uh, there was a very intimate and personal relationship, and Jesus referred to him as Abba. So um, um, other than that, Jesus was praying to his father. He called him his father or Abba, and um, uh, there, there's no contradiction there. Um, Jesus is God, the Father's God, and the Holy Spirit is God. I think that's one of the mysteries of the Trinity. I, I also, it is, it, the fact that, that Jesus continually uh, referenced the Father uh, as his Father, and the Jews all saw him very plainly uh, relating himself to their God, the God of the Old Testament. There was no question whatsoever about who this God was as far as the Jews were concerned. And we see the word Lord there, and it's remember that the, the New Testament is given to us and mostly in Greek. It's Greek and Aramaic, and the thing is, it's just uh, we, uh, uh, the, the Greek, well, since it's written in Greek, I just don't think that, that we're going to see a lot of Jewish references there with that. And so I, I think that that's, that's kind of a, a bunny trail that you can probably end up with your face in a corner if you keep going down there. Yeah, it sounds like somebody's trying to trap him into a thing. Let's go to Marcelo calling from Canton, Ohio, on line one. Marcelo, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, just excusing myself. I'm over here. That's why I couldn't be at the retreat. But uh, I just wanted to call and say hi. And- Ask you guys to pray for me while while you're at the uh, afterglow, and I love you, and I, I just I just wanted to say here I am, Marcelo. Thank you for calling. We miss you. I miss you guys. <laughs> God bless. God bless you, Marcelo. Work takes us sometimes we can't. He's missing out on the men's retreat, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> he loves the Lord. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question. We have another question out here? Okay. Our next question is, do you confront a believing family member or a friend that sees no need to join a church? Uh, is that sin or is that short-circuiting the work of grace in their life or both? Is there another important truth as well? Is this whole question a poor approach based on a have-to or get-to attitude towards obedient obedience to Christ? I think that's insightful, Kevin, the last part. Yeah, I think absolutely. We look at, okay, I've got to read the Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to go to church. Instead of, we get to do those things. During the, the break uh, that's still going on in the men's retreat, um, one of the guys was sitting all by himself reading his Bible. And I went up to him and I told him, I said, you chose the best activity of all for your free time today. And he goes, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and so it's really, really good. Um, Kevin, what do you think? Do you confront a family member or somebody says they're a believer? I always, uh, I don't like the word confront. I like to go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 on this, you know, and and that is, you know, if somebody's caught up in a sin, and I'm going to go ahead and call it a sin. Let me go ahead and refer back to Hebrews of that we are not to uh, neglect, what is it, not to neglect the, the gathering. We are to be together. The church needs to be together. If you are part of the body of Christ, you must be with the body of Christ. Now, back to Galatians 6.1. You with a, uh, who are spiritual in a spirit of gentleness, 
to uh, you know to to lead them back into the truth. And the thing is, is that I think if somebody's not going to church, to me, it's like you know a Christian who's not going to church. To me, it's like somebody who's got a little gimp in their walk. If you see somebody gimpy when they're walking, you know there's something wrong with their body. And if somebody's not going to church and they say they're a Christian, there's something wrong in their relationship with the Lord. And they say, well, there's just too many problems. I've been hurt at church. They have a lot of really good answers for it. And I always tell them, man, I tell you what, since I've been a Christian, I've been hurt way more by by Christians than I was ever by unbelievers. And uh, because I expect more of Christians, and then when they hurt me, I'm shocked. But Jesus teaches us all to forgive one another. And I challenge all of us with this. How in the world can you be obedient to the Lord's command to forgive unless someone sins against you? So go to church. Remember, iron sharpens iron. And you're going to make sparks sometime in that sharpening. You're going to have to learn to get along with people who are different than you. You're going to have to learn to love and forgive and to grow alongside of them. Because if you avoid those relationships, then I'm at what Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, which is he who isolates himself seeks his own desires and rages against all wise judgment. And so that that's a problem. And I, I've shared with many Christians who refuse to go to church. And I said, you will, you will never grow in your relationship with the Lord. You know, Kevin, assuming the best about this person, that they really are a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, as, you, as you study through the, the, the historical accounts of the kings, you'll see over and over he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he didn't remove the high places. Right. And the high places represent convenient worship. You know, we don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem. Oh, and, and, and so let's just go someplace where it's convenient, where it's close, where you don't have to disrupt our lives. Well, that's what people like this are really looking for. They're looking for convenient Christianity. I, I don't have to go to church. I can be a Christian. Um, Sunday's my only day off. You know, there are other things that I want to do. But the reality is, is that that's not an offering. That's not a sacrifice at all. I tell our church all the time, Kevin, that when you see worship, and you're, you're a worship guy. We get to hear that tonight. I can't wait. But um, when, when we see worship referenced in the Old Testament, something always dies. Yes. You know, we, we raise our hands and sing, and we get emotional, and tears go down our cheeks. But, but in, the, in the Old Testament, something always dies. And people in the 21st century in the United States of America, and I'm sure other places, they don't want to die. Well, I want to come to God on my terms. And, and the one thing I can say for sure, again, assuming the best that this person mm-hmm. is a legitimate believer, the one thing I can say is that there's no fruit coming from their lives because God will not meet you on your terms ever. We've got to do what he says. And Hebrews 10.25, Kevin mentioned it is, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. Very, very important um, question. Zach, you're next. Um, Hello, this is Zachary from San Antonio, Texas. I just want to shout out to my wife, give a shout out to my wife, uh, Jocelyn Mayfield, or Jocelyn Carson now. Um, (laughs) Just wanted to say I I love you, and I miss you, and I can't wait to come back home. Um, My question for both of you guys is, what is the most difficult thing about your job? That's the first question. What is the most difficult thing about your job being a pastor? And the second question is, how can somebody in your congregation pray for you effectively? Oh, what kind of prayers would you need specifically as a pastor for us to pray for? What a great question. Now, I'm going to answer this one for Kevin because we just talked about this mm-hmm. before when we were at lunch and stuff. The single most difficult part of our job, without question, is dealing with the broken hearts when people who we thought were believers, people that were at, at least for a time producing fruit for the kingdom of God, and we watch them fall apart and walk away from the Lord. It is unbelievably painful. Um, we can't do anything. It, it's a decision they have to make. Remember, Kevin said God respects their free will. But the reality is um, so many tears are shed, so much pain, and so many prayers go on their behalf. I've got a bunch of people like that. Kevin's got a bunch of people like that. 
And um, year after year after year after year goes by, and we're still praying from a tender place in our hearts for those people who at one point were, were bearing a lot of fruit but no longer are. Kevin, what would you add? Yeah, I, I think not yeah, not, not just those who, who, who walked, but then those who you see they're starting to, to understand the things of God and then um, and then they just they disappear, they crash and burn, they 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 refuse the bread of life, they refuse the simplicity of the gospel, they run out somewhere else. I I don't think people understand that when the Lord makes a pastor he he causes that pastor to actually love these people. Now yeah. I know. I mean, it's it's I, you know. I mean, sometimes you know. I, I think just as well, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I don't love anybody, and then I'll say that's my wife. I don't think I love anybody. She says you're crazy. You just you know look at you, look at and, just, and this this brokenness that comes over your heart when you see people's lives falling apart and you poured in so much. I. I pray for these people. I do what I can. I'm not the perfect pastor. I'm not, you know, uh, any of But I just don't think people understand that we genuinely care from the absolute bottom of our heart. And, that is a, and that's a, a gift from God, really. I, it's a gift. It's a strange gift, right? But a painful one. Yeah, it's a very painful gift. And and uh, and so yeah, that's the most painful part. And I would say also, you want to pray. Not you know, I would say pray for pray for us that you know people wouldn't walk away from the Lord. But that's really not the prayer because people are going to do that. The prayer, I I I just more than anything, I need wisdom. I am so short on wisdom, and I need that desperately. Um, and I, what do you need, Ron? Uh, yeah, my, my prayer uh, would, would prayer request would be that people would pray that I would finish better than I started. I, I you know, oh, I, yeah. I, I, I'm approaching the end. I mean, I'm 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 getting old, um, and you know, I'm at the age where people always talk about retirement. Are you getting ready to retire? And I always tell them I'm still working on getting tired. Right. But no, but, no, just... but but the idea here is is I want to finish better than I started. I don't want to take it easy. I don't want to relax. I don't want to be less direct because I'm going to hurt people's feelings. I want to finish better than I started. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost obsessed with that one thing. So that would be my prayer. Obviously, I need wisdom and mm-hmm. I need um, the love of God. You know, when Kevin said that we love people, um, it's almost at times there are some people that you meet and it happens instantly right. others it happens over time but it's almost like God is giving you a, an infusion in your heart of his love for those people and it's like he's making a deposit of his love for those people in your heart and, and you just know that person is special or that person's got a very special place in your heart and um, when when those people especially fall away it's yeah. like Oh Lord, and and then all we can do is pray, and a lot of times when that happens, somebody gets in the flesh. It's it's nothing we can do about it except pray for them. Here's one final question that we've got. Uh, Sam, would you bring that up? Um, I like this question. Sometimes intimacy with my wife feels more like an act of lust than an act of worship. Is this an abuse of the gift of intimacy? Let me say this, and then I'm turning it over to Kevin. There is something I call holy lust. And when a man and a woman who are married have sex, it's supposed to be passionate. It's supposed to be exciting. It's supposed to be, in a holy way, lustful. And I hope this doesn't creep anybody out. But when a man and a woman are enjoying one another like that, Jesus is there. He's there, and it makes it even better. So um, go for all the holy lust you want. Get rid of all the other lust in your life, but the holy lust, lust is your step. I have, I have a confession to make. I, I don't think I've ever thought of Jesus while I was making love to my wife. <laughs> I didn't I, say I, that. I, mean, I said he's I, there. He's there. Okay, good. But I, you know what? 
That is, it is a part of, of love. There are four Greek words that different uh, that, that translate into love for us, and one of them is eros. That are, you know, and the thing is, is that the Lord has given us so many uh, so many gifts that are made specifically for specific things. He gave us those those feelings of desire, of sexual desire for one woman, for your wife. And so if your body and your mind feel lustful, put that word in quotes, you, you, you know, uh, I think you might be just thinking too much. You know, go ahead and say, man, she's looking good to me. <laughs> and, and, and thank you, Lord, you know. I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away by how much I love this woman. And so, uh, no, I would say enjoy the gift of your wife. And that's, and I don't want to talk about this anymore, Ron. <laughs> well, conveniently, we've just run out of time. Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's really a good thing. And, and to grow old with somebody mm-hmm. and still have that kind of, excitement in a physical relationship is exactly what God's planning. That's how good he is to you. If you don't believe it, read the Song of Songs and let the Lord convince you. Kevin, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.